Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it's good, it's true, it's perfect, and you've given it to us so that we might know you. Lord, I ask that you would have mercy on me, the preacher, a sinner forgiven, as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I imagine there are many of you here today who have given flowers or who have received flowers. I got some flowers this morning. These are yellow tulips. You can't tell quite yet because they are not in full bloom. But tulips are my favorite. They are the floral forerunners of spring. They're the harbingers of spring. They tell us that winter is not going to last forever. So I have tulips in my garden at home, and of course, Rich gave me these this morning. I remember a time a couple of years ago when Rich came home with tulips. It was early March, and the weather was still frigid. And it was a stiff bunch of tulips, and we plunged them in a vase, and I waited for them to open. But they were cinched tight like this, and they refused to open and release their sweet and subtle scent. He had come home with flowers. Um, this was not not an ordinary thing for him. But he came home with them because it had been really a difficult season. Uh, we had a parent in the hospital. Our oldest son had had some major leg surgery. And he was in a wheelchair for three months and out of school for that time as well. The job was a bit uncertain with the loss of a contract, and things were just the middle of winter, just bleh. So he came home with these tulips, and I remember we set them up on the piano, and every morning I'd come home and I'd wait to see, had they opened? Had they opened? You see, I was a mom. I was a woman in need of mercy, because times were tough. And I just needed a little bit of mercy from God, a, a little bit of his love, of his compassion. I needed to see it. I needed to feel it. And I began to look at this, those tulips cinched tight, like the way God doled out his mercy. He was cinched tight with his mercy. Why wouldn't he release it? I just needed a bit of it. Just open up and give me some of that mercy. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in a winter kind of season and you just wanted a little bit of God's mercy, just to feel a little bit of his love, a little bit of his compassion? God, just open up just a little bit for me in this moment. I was waiting for that. In our passage today, we meet a woman who is in desperate need of God's mercy. In fact, she cries out to him, Lord, have mercy on me. She says, my daughter is suffering terribly. I always thought that was interesting. Have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly, right? I mean, 
why wouldn't she say, have mercy on my daughter? If you're a parent here, then you understand. Because you know that when you care for somebody long and hard and with everything you've got, it's exhausting. It's emotionally depleting. And you cry out, have mercy on me, the caregiver. Think about this woman. Her daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. So perhaps this woman is woken up in the middle of the night because her daughter is in hysterics, crying out and screaming. And this mother, she cannot help her daughter. Lord, have mercy on me. Or when she's in the middle of a conversation with her daughter and her daughter's face changes and it contorts and the little girl that she once knew is lost to her. She's almost unrecognizable and this mother cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. Or when they're out in the village and they're walking down the street and other parents move to the other side to shield their Typical children. Lord, have mercy on me. This mother cries out to Jesus, who just happens to be walking through her neighborhood, which is foreign territory, foreign land, and she sees this opportunity. Have mercy on me. She asks for mercy, begs for mercy as a mother, but she's also asking for mercy as an outsider. She is not Jewish. She's a Gentile. Matthew tells us that um, she is from Syrophoenicia and that she is a Canaanite woman. Actually, Mark tells us she's from Syrophoenicia, and Matthew says she is Canaanite. So she is asking for mercy as an outsider. You see, mercy was something that God gave to his people. She was not an approved recipient of God's mercy as an outsider of the faith. God's mercy, it's, it was the outflow of his love, his compassion, his loving kindness that was given to his covenant people. God's mercy meant that he loved his people no matter what they did. They were undeserving of his mercy, but he maintained his relationship with them. He was committed to loving them. Here she was, someone on the outside, begging for just a crumb of that mercy. Do you have some for me? A mother, an outsider. But she's also asking for mercy as an enemy. Of course, in our passage here, right there in verse 22, Matthew describes this woman, we don't know her name, as a Canaanite woman. Now, the interesting thing about this is that there were Canaanites, that word was used often in the Old Testament, right? But it's only used one time in the New Testament, and that's right here. It's only used right here, the only time. Why? 
because there were no Canaanites. Canaanites did not exist anymore. They were gone. So the question is, why does Matthew use, really, it's an odd term for her. Why does he refer to her as a Canaanite? Because he's trying to show us how the Jewish people felt about her. Not only was she an outsider, she was an enemy. They won't let that designation go. They, they, he wants to remind us of, of how everyone felt about her. She's still an enemy. Once an enemy, always an enemy. Way back, after Moses died and the promised land was conquered, God said the Canaanites must go. They must go. They practiced human sacrifice. They were depraved in so many ways. In fact, the first two commandments were in direct opposition to the Canaanites. You shall make no idols, and God alone should be your God. But the Israelites were taken with this religion that was so tangible, wood or stone, a God that you could put in your pocket and carry wherever you went. And the Canaanites were the Israelites' downfall. So when Matthew refers to this woman as a Canaanite woman, he's saying this woman is an outsider. Yes, but she is your enemy. Steer clear from her. She's your downfall. Don't go anywhere near her. She's an enemy, and enemies do not deserve mercy. That's who she is. So we've got this woman begging Jesus for mercy, a mother, an outsider, even more than that. She is an enemy. But she begs Jesus for mercy because she knows that he is the only one who can give it to her. He is the only one who can give her the mercy she needs. So she says, have mercy on me. And verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. He says nothing. It's like, God, would you please give me something? I'm begging for your mercy. Just open up. Give me a crumb. Just a little bit of your love, of your compassion. But he says nothing. Instead, his disciples speak up. And you wonder if Jesus is waiting for them to step into the situation, to see how they'd respond to this mother, this outsider, this enemy. And they do. They pop right in and they say, send her away, verse 23, for she keeps crying out after us. And that's their response. Send her away. She keeps crying out after us. So Jesus answered, almost taking their lead, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. My, my work is among the Jewish people, God's people, the people of the covenant who deserve God's mercy. But this woman, I wonder if she saw a twinkle in Jesus' eye, if there was something there, because she persists. And now, 
she breaks in to the crowd. Verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. So now she has stopped the flow of traffic, right? Jesus is there. He's with his disciples all around him. Of course, there are villagers there to do, uh, as well. Uh, Jesus is known. So she breaks in and stops everything, kneeling. Lord, help me. I want you to think about this for a moment. What did it take for this woman to break into that crowd after she had heard the disciples say, send her away? After Jesus had said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Sometimes in life, we have to make those heart racing, against all odds, stand your ground stance and continue our journey to Jesus. Even when the onlookers glare, even when we can hear the whispers in the crowd, because we know the mercy that we need, and we know the one who can give it. So she continues, and she does not let that crowd frazzle her faith. She does not let the whispers stop her, the whispers that say, she doesn't deserve mercy. And you know what? They're right. She doesn't deserve mercy. But neither do they. In fact, nobody deserves God's mercy. God's mercy hung on a wooden cross. God's mercy was sealed in a tomb covered with a cold stone slab. God's mercy, it rose with the dawn on Easter morning. God's mercy is the peace treaty signed in the bud of Jesus Christ that says, forgiven. None of us deserve God's mercy, but he gives it to us just the same. So she kneels and she begs, Lord, have mercy mercy on me. And this is where you think Jesus will look at her and he'll say, rise, my daughter. Mercy has been given. But he doesn't. He takes it one more round. And this is when I look at this and I think, this is not my Sunday school Jesus. He says to her, verse 26, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. So commentators are all over the place when it comes to this verse. And many say, well, the word there is actually little dog. Uh, so she was calling, he was calling her a little dog. And he was simply saying, that the children are the Jewish people. He must minister to the Jewish people before he'd ever feed the family pet, right? Now, that's probably true in, in your home. You feed your family before you feed the animals. We have two dogs, two little Havanese, and we have a cat, and we have three boys. And some nights, it's a free-for-all, and I don't know who gets fed first. <laughs> whoever gets there first. 
And here you're saying, okay, so the Jewish people, that's Jesus' primary mission, then the, the little dogs. But there's one commentator, Kenneth Bailey, and he was an expert, a Middle Eastern expert. He lived there for over 40 years. And he says, when Jesus calls this woman a dog, he intends it to be an insult. He says, that's the way the word was used. Um, it, it was uh, an insult. But what he's doing is he's teaching his disciples. Now, of course, he softens a bit by calling her a little dog. But he's teaching his disciples. He's showing them. He's demonstrating what their prejudices look like when they're acted upon. He's saying, are you really comfortable with this scene? Let me play out what's in your heart and what's in your mind, and you tell me watching it, are you really comfortable with this? With denying this woman, this mother, this outsider, this enemy, mercy? Are you really okay with that? So Bailey says he did intend to insult her. Not because he believed that, but he knew that they did. So Jesus uses this as a moment to teach his disciples that God's mercy goes far beyond geographical borders. That God's mercy is so much bigger than they could ever even imagine. I uh, volunteer at my kids' schools. Uh, we live right next to the school. It's easy for me to walk over and spend an hour at the school. So I have three boys, and I've been doing that ever since my oldest was uh, three years old in nursery school. And I first started volunteering in the lunchroom. I was the lunch lady. And then I volunteered for recess. I was on recess duty. But by the, the time Timmy, our youngest, got into school, I discovered that you could volunteer in the library. And I said, that is such a good gig. And he said, that's way better than lunch and recess. So I signed up for the library. And I started doing that a couple of years ago. And I would figure out when Timmy's uh, library time slot was. They'd go to the library once a week. And I would go in a little bit early, and I would, uh, I would stack books, uh, big Nate books, and uh, all kinds of books. And then Timmy's class would file in very quietly, uh, single file. And then they, this was, they were only three and four, and they would go to a, a, a special little section reserved for them because they couldn't read. And they had a special section of books, that were big books, picture books. And then I would meander my way over there, and I would sit down on, on these benches, almost uh, like bleachers, and the kids would come over to me with their books. And Timmy's face always lit up when he saw me. And uh, that year, he loved dinosaurs. So he always grabbed a dinosaur book, and he'd make his way over to me, and he sat right on my lap. Mom, will you read to me? And we'd open the book, and we'd read about dinosaurs. 
And then all these little kids would gather around me, and it felt so good. There were girls. I've got these three boys, and these girls would come over, and we'd read dinosaurs, and it was so nice. And then off in the distance, there was a little boy. We'll call him Joey. And uh, Joey did not come from the lap of luxury. In fact, for him, a lap was a luxury. And when he saw mine, he wanted a piece of it. And little Joey was a wild little boy. Sometimes he'd break out into temper tantrums. His hair was a little bit wild, and he always had this uh, thin stream of mucus running down from his, his nose. We called it magical mucus, because as soon as you wiped it away, it just magically reappeared again. So that was little Joey, and he loved monster trucks. So Joey would pick out monster trucks, and it was really only one book per child, but Joey always got an armful, a stack full of books, and he'd make his way over, bumbling, and with a trail of books falling behind him, and he would see my lap, and he said, I want to sit down. He sat right on my lap and shoved Timmy over. <laughs> so now I've got these two little kids fighting for space on my lap, and I've got the dinosaur book and the monster truck book. Mine. No, mine. Mine. So I tried to combine the books, you know, and the monster trucks were driving down the road, and they saw a huge dinosaur. That guy. <laughs> and it just wasn't working well. And then after this back and forth, this back and forth, my little guy said, Mom, make him go away. Make him go away. I wasn't his mom. Did I have room for him? The disciples look at this woman. Make her go away. God doesn't have room for her. There's no room on God's lap for her. Make her go away. But Jesus is teaching his disciples. They're learning how big and how wide God's mercy is. But there's more that's going on here. Not only is Jesus teaching his disciples, he's testing this woman's faith. He's testing the strength of her faith. Because you read this and you think, Jesus, why are you pushing it with her? Like, you know, just give her the mercy. Why do you have to throw in the dog bit there? I mean, haven't you gone a little too far? And uh, he's doing something with her. Great tests are given to great students. And he wants to take this moment when she desperately needs mercy to see what her faith is made out of and to even increase it. One of our sons plays cello, and uh, I am not a string player. I played a woodwind instrument growing up. We have a brass player in our home, but a string instrument, we didn't know what to do with the thing. And his teacher said, you know, you've got to tune it. So we have a piano, and I, I could tune it. But what I didn't understand are that there are fine tuning pegs, and then there are the larger pegs at top, uh, the top, and I figured, oh, I'll just give one of these a big old twist. And uh, if anybody plays a string instrument, you know what happened. Twice it happened to me. The string just snapped like that, just boing, and went flying across the room. 
When I think of this story, I think of Jesus fine-tuning faith. He's applying pressure. He's tightening the string ever so much, but never to the point where it will snap or break. But boy, it seems like it comes close, doesn't it? Very close. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt when you were crying out for mercy, when you needed just a bit of God's mercy, that things were getting so tight that you might just snap? But we need to remember that we are in the hands of God Almighty. He knows how to tune the instrument. He knows how much pressure to apply. And remember that he is behind all of this, at work, teaching us, testing us, making him more like himself. God is at work. And this woman is quick with a reply. She says to him in verse 27, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She sticks right with him, and she says, No, I want mercy from you, and I know you are the only one who can give me the mercy I need. And he says, Woman, you have great faith. Verse 28, your request is granted. Her daughter was healed from that very hour. Woman, you have great faith. She persisted. She stuck with Jesus. I do wonder what Peter was thinking. Now, our passage doesn't say anything about what the disciples were thinking at this moment. But we know Peter was there. And if you turn back in your Bibles to the end of chapter 14, there's this story about Jesus walking on water. You know that story. There's a, a big storm. Jesus comes out into the middle of the lake. It's in the wee hours of the morning. And remember, Peter gets out of the boat. And he starts to walk on water. He's looking at Jesus. His focus is on him. He's walking on water. But then the wind uh, lifts up fierce fists of water that pelt that boat. And the, the howl of the storm frightens him. And he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. He's going to drown. And then Jesus pulls him up and brings him to safety. And do you remember what Jesus says to him? Jesus says to Peter, verse 31, chapter 14, you of little faith. I imagine when Jesus heard the words, you have great faith, spoken to a woman, a mother, an outsider, an enemy. It must have tore at his heart. How could he not have remembered the words that Jesus had recently spoken to him? How does the big dog disciple have little faith and the little dog mother have big faith? Keep the faith 
keep great faith. Great faith sticks with Jesus. Even when the onlookers glare, and it would be easier just to hide yourself back in the crowd and walk away and be offended or be upset that God hasn't opened up and given your mercy on your time frame. Great faith sticks with him and persists, continues on that journey for Jesus. Little faith, it walks away. Little faith takes its eyes off of Jesus and says, Jesus doesn't care, or Jesus is not big enough for this problem, or Jesus hurt my feelings. Great faith continues toward Jesus. Maybe this morning, this afternoon now, you could use some mercy. Maybe there is something going on in your world. And you are just waiting for God to open up, to give you just a crumb. Or maybe God is teaching you about his mercy, how big and wide it is. Back to the tulips. More than a week had gone by, and the tulips had largely been forgotten. Only the fragrance in the house was the smell of taco meat simmering in the pan and permeating every nook and cranny of our home. We topped our shells with mounds of cheese and a heaping side of suppertime insanity. The dogs and the cat played a wild game of tag under our feet, and the kids raced back and forth, fetching balls and Legos and spelling homework. Rich and I barked out orders to insubordinate soldiers. Does this sound like your home, or is it just ours? The scene was uncivilized. We were waiting to hear from the doctor about one of our son's lab results. I had wedged behind my back an old-fashioned water bottle. I had uh, pulled my back doing something meaningful and heroic. Actually, I had just sat up in bed and pulled up the covers, and my back went out. Sadly, but uh, that's supper time. Somebody dropped a glass, it smashed, and it was a total circus. Then the red-cheeked little one zoomed by and crashed onto my lap. He dug his elbows right into my legs, and my back jolted, and he wagged a pudgy pointer finger in the direction of the vase in which the tulips. And he said... Mom, look, your tulips hatched. (laughs) And the whir of the carnival circled around me like a carousel, but I didn't care anymore. The flowers had hatched, and hatched flowers will always make me smile. And I remembered that even in the roar of the uproar, God's mercy hatches. God's mercy blooms just when we need it. So keep the faith. Keep great faith. God's mercy blooms. Amen.